His name is Lyle Presler, punk rock legend and music industry vet. His name is Jim Shear, most tenured DJ in the history of music television. It's the week in music with Lyle and Jim, and it all starts now. Hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear. And I'm Lyle Presler. And on today's episode, U2 plays the Joshua Tree in its entirety. Bon Jovi wants your garage band to open up for them. Moby says no. Billy Corgan gets creative. But before all of that, last night in Chicago, President Barack Obama gave his farewell speech. Mm. Eddie Vedder played Pearl Jam songs to open up the proceedings. Say what you want about Obama, but he never had a problem booking A-list talent. No, he didn't. He didn't. And and uh, his successor is having a lot of problems. Yeah. I think the newest one is Charlotte Church. Uh, she dropped out? Well, she she was asked, apparently, and instead of just politely declining, I guess she basically said, I think you're a tyrant and I'll never be, you know, she kind of went off. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty bad. I mean, they're, they have like three Rockettes up there. And they're going to have like, you know, 15 Mormon Tabernacle Choir people trying to figure out who's going to do whose part. <laughs> well, Moby was recently asked to play an event at the inauguration. And he said, well, he said, I'll, I'll do it, but Trump has to release his tax returns. Right, right, right. And, and, and of course, I, that's a, you know, the, then that, the, then that, that'll necessitate Trump coming back with a tweet saying, I don't even know who Moby is. Is he a whale? Right. <laughs> Poor Moby, because remember Moby used to get dissed by Eminem? Oh, yeah, that's right. And now he, he could get dissed by the president. Yeah, well, I, I actually, I don't think he minds too much. No. I think Moby kind and of he said if he it. did, yeah, if he did play the event, he would play a lot of Public Enemy. So that would be great. Yeah, I know. That'd be a, a party to go to. Yeah, definitely. So my question is, why isn't Kid Rock doing anything? I don't know. You got to think he's waiting by his phone. You would think so, but maybe they just feel like he's too out there, even for them. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting because they're kind of getting down to the wire on this thing. I know. And there are a lot of events. What most people don't know is there are many, many inaugural parties, balls, and things like that. There's one main ball that only the top top you know folks get in, invited to and that usually has the mo- the best talent but then there's other mm-hmm. there's other opportunities for talent so i think they're probably going to be fielding a team of relative no names <laughs> if any See, i'm surprised that i mean it would take a lot of courage for someone to say yeah i'll do it and then when they're on the mic just totally go off on trump yeah, yeah, that would take like a lot I said, of courage. That, that would take a lot of courage, yeah. I also think that that's something where, I mean, my feeling about that would be that I, I don't know that you should get yourself involved in doing things like that. Like, if you don't want right. to do it, just say, I don't want to do it. And if, you, and if there's a reason why you don't want to do it, say, give it, you know? But don't accept it and then then screw the whole thing up on purpose. But I'm sure yeah. there are people who would. If Kanye, sure. if Kanye disliked Trump, then he might do that. That would be the kind of thing he would do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, did you see any of the speech last night? I did not see it last night. I watched a little bit this morning uh, on the old interweb, mm-hmm. um, and it was a, it was an interesting speech. Yeah, I thought it was good, Yeah, but at, at times I kind of tuned out because I thought, well, you're leaving, and <laughs> this, this all sounded really good while you're president, but now I'm like, eh. Yeah. So I, I, but when he got near the end, I wanted to hear how he would close it. Right. So he, he closed strong, yes. but I, I kind of faded out. You know, it loses some power when, you know, he called himself a lame duck, right, I believe. Right, so. And that's always been a very curious part of our system, which is, by the way, not the system in almost every other country. You know, you have, um, for instance, in parliamentarian systems, you have votes of no confidence, right? Which end mm-hmm. up just ending a government, like, boom, done, next Mm-hmm. And then you have, of course, situations where someone has total control over the country and you wait till they die or, or until they mm-hmm. are incapacitated somehow. But in our country, it's very interesting because you have the situation where someone is actually in office and they're on their way out and they are a lame duck. Um, and it's a very, I would say it's probably a pretty difficult thing for people to 
to deal with on in the best of situations. In other words, for the mm-hmm. president-elect and the president, that's probably a pretty difficult thing to work on, even when there's no acrimony and there's no this, that, and the other. Um, so, but it's an interesting system. Yeah. So, um, goodbye to President Barack Obama, maybe one of the most well-spoken presidents of our time. I would think so, yeah. Who could get anybody to perform for him. <laughs> so, uh, you too announced that on their upcoming stadium tour, they will be playing their album, The Joshua Tree, in its entirety, celebrating its 30th anniversary. Now, apparently, track number six, Red Hill Mining Town, has never been performed live. Mm. So is this something that interests you? Ah, I don't know. I mean, I've seen them a few times. I saw the last last tour that they did. Um, I think if you're a big fan of the album, it'll be great, you know? Um, but I, I don't, I don't personally feel a need to see him again. Okay. Even though that they're playing this album. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, that's not my favorite U2 record by any stretch of the imagination. So if they, if they told me they're at the they point were, now where they can spin things, they could have a 30th anniversary. I think another one of their albums has a, a 25th anniversary this year. I mean, that seems to be the way things are going, right, Jim? I mean, it's like people are sort of, that's how they're mining their past for touring opportunities, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. and to some extent, I mean, I, I guess it makes some sense. Um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of the, a lot of these records are already incorporated into normal set. So right, yeah. So I don't I don't know. I mean, it's like I guess I guess the thing too is if if the record that you are going to perform has some sort of conceptual overarching identity then to perform mm-hmm. to perform that record live in order okay is it could be a very interesting thing to listen to but if it's yeah. if it's just a collection of songs then who cares then just play the songs in the set you know i don't i mean uh, it's not very interesting i mean i guess there's a yeah but i i guess i'm saying I mean, there's a, a difference it's between, a big album yeah yeah I mean, I guess I'm saying there's a big difference between performing Dark Side of the Moon, you know, in order, and performing mm-hmm. Boy in order. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I don't see, I mean, l- listen, I, I think there are people who will tell me, who are big U2 fans, will tell me, oh, no, Joshua Tree is a conceptual, re- it's a concept record, and the songs follow each other in a, in a pattern, and it, you know, it's a discernible narrative, then fine, I, then I think that's great. But I think something, I guess all I'm saying is I think some records will lend themselves better to that activity than others. Okay. I have a musician question for mm-hmm. you. The Joshua Tree is 50 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Obviously, U2 is going to play longer than that. And they do want to play the album in its entirety. So when do you bust out the Joshua Tree? Because you couldn't open up with it, right? You would do it sort of in the middle of the concert, maybe? Ooh, see, that's a real tough question. That's a good question, Jim, because I mean, it, you got certain issues there, okay, because they have so many big hits, right? If they mm-hmm. if they start off the set, you know, like start off with Beautiful Day and then go into a bunch of stuff from War, you know, all that stuff. Then by the time they get to their Joshua Tree part, have they run, ha- has the audience run out of gas, Right. Now, I mean, there's all sorts of staging things you could do and, and intermission type stuff. You could, you could make it work conceptually. But so there, that's one possibility. Doing it in the middle, again, you run the risk of if you, if you front load your set with a bunch of big time songs and get everybody pumped, then you do Joshua Tree and like, does the energy level dip there? And then, but then you could bring it back at the end, right? Yeah, because the first three cuts. Off the Joshua Tree are where the streets have mm-hmm. no name. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and with or without you. Right. And those are the big ones. Those are the big ones from that album. Yeah. And the problem is, as you go through the album, will the energy level really, really dip down? But even if it did, then you could probably pick it up at the end with some other songs. Right. Or you could open with Joshua Tree. Yeah. And that might be okay too because people in the audience would be going, okay, I'm going to hear that whole record. And then I know I'm going to hear other stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a way to keep the energy level pumped throughout the, throughout the set. 
And the set would open up with three giant hits. Right, exactly. It's not like you're opening up with some, you know, 10-minute song <laughs> that sort of sets the, the... I mean, it's not Radiohead trying to, like, right. do this. So I, I think it might work. Yeah, I, that might work. I think, I think having gone through the three possibilities, I think I would start... I would open with it. So sadly, I was reading an interview with The Edge... Mm. And he was saying he doesn't think it would work if they opened up with the Joshua Tree. Really? So maybe they need to bring us aboard, and we can talk them through it. <laughs> we can it. talk them through the logic of it. <laughs> hey, listen, Edge, man, I respect you and all, but, man, you're all wet about this thing. Let me explain to you why. So uh, speaking of live tours, uh, this week Green Day finalized their upcoming Revolution Radio Tour, It'll be the second leg of their North American tour, supporting their latest album, Revolution Radio. Uh, the dates haven't been announced uh, for these two events, but they will also be performing at Wrigley Field in the Rose Bowl. Mm. So does this excite you at all? No. 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 But, I mean, but how, how is that record done? Is it? I mean, what's the, what's the feeling about that record? There's two singles. Yeah. But, I mean... And I think the, the second, sing, second single is sticking a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it sort of, it, I, I just didn't feel a lot of heat coming off the record itself. No. Yeah. But, but that doesn't... And they're doing, yeah, like starting in March, they're doing a, a string of arena tours. Right. And then they'll be playing amphitheaters in the summer. And then I guess the two big shows will be Wrigley Field and the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl would be kind of cool. You know, I, 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 how come they're not doing anything in New York City? That I don't know. That seems like it would make sense. And I think it would be cool if they would play, like if they would have thrown in a couple of smaller venues... You know, like mm-hmm. like Forest Hills or something like that. Yeah. You know where I mean, I realize that that economically it's not it's not as good, and you may run into issues of. I mean, if you're playing Madison Square Garden, you may have a blackout period. You know, around the. That's not bad, Lyle. Yeah. I like that Green Day at the the tennis stadium yeah. in Forest Hills, which, yes. which is a great place to to see music if it's a nice night. You know. Cause yeah, I know. With their stop is they're doing the Barclays right. when they come to New York. Yeah, and I mean that's fine, but those are all the same. I mean, you could those are all cookie cutter type venues. You know, they're all yeah. designed to be the same. I mean, that's the point of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I if somebody said to me, "Hey, you want to go to Forest Hills and see Green Day?" I'd say, "Sure, yeah, mm-hmm. let's go." That's one of the few venues where I would go just for the venue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, assuming it's not going to be raining. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because Ed, she- I, l- I love Ed Sheeran. I've seen him a gazillion times, and the only reason I saw him a couple summers ago was because he was playing at the the tennis stadium. Right, right. I said, she- "Yeah, I love going to that because I love Queens too." So it just works yeah, well, out, it's, and it's great because also you, you when you when you sp- first of all the show has to end fairly early, which is great because mm-hmm. of the neighborhood around it, right? <laughs> yes. So yes, and you spill out, and it's really cool the way you sort of spill out, and I I don't know that the residents like this. But you spill out into this, you know, residential neighborhood, and it's it kind of has a it kind of has an interesting feel to it. Yeah, you feel more like you went to a club than having gone to an arena or mm-hmm. a shed or something like that. Hmm. So who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe later this year they'll announce that they'll do something. Well, after we talk after stadium. we talk to the edge, would you get Billy Joe on the phone and we can go through this with him? We're you know what, Lyle? We're geniuses. <laughs> Today, why doesn't anyone realize that? Today we are. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> so Bon Jovi also going out on tour this year. Oh, so we're going to, to the ridiculous now, right? <laughs> their latest album, "This House Is Not For Sale," and for each date of the tour, they're giving a local band a chance to open up for them. Huh. So it looks like it's time to get Professor Booty and the Shore Shots back together. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, no, that's really cool. That's a good idea. I like that. I mean, I don't. And it's going to be. I, I. I think it's going to be difficult to do that properly. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's an online thing mm. where you click a link, and then you probably have to submit a video, mm-hmm. and then they'll go through it and they'll pick a band. And the sad thing is that they'll basically play for an empty arena. Well, that's the problem, and I've even seen big time acts. <laughs> opening at Madison Square Garden and the lights, the house lights are on. You know, like I saw PJ Harvey yes. playing with house lights on. I'm like, oh, this isn't that great. Like, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't have accepted this gig. Um, but I've been through it too. I opened for, we opened for PIL one time and it was awful. But um, 
But you're right. They might play to an empty arena. I think the, the logistical part of it that's difficult is not so much picking the artists because that's pretty easy, I think. I think it's sort of like, okay, you're going to come into the situation. It's Bon Jovi set up. You're going to have to have probably like special technical liaison people. And every night's going to be different. The great thing about going on tour with a crew and an opening act is that it's going to be the same every night. The technical setups are exactly the same every night. They've already been rehearsed. They've been blocked. It's all there, right? And aside from equipment malfunction, it should all work. Mm -hmm. But when you're bringing in a new act every night with different setups, different amplifiers, different needs, it could get a little hairy. Yeah, but like I said, nobody's going to be there. <laughs> so what does it matter? It doesn't matter. <laughs> so the cool thing is is that you take a cell phone video and you say, hey, my band opened up for Bon Jovi. Right. So it's it's good bragging That's rights. That's cool. Yeah, it's true. I mean, listen, if I were if if I were interested in that, that would be great. I mean, I would I would if I was in a band, I would love that opportunity. Just, if nothing uh, else, just to a- see what it's like. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, aren't you in a band? <laughs> I-, I said time to get Professor Booty and the Sure Shots there back you together. You can submit something, yeah. Jim. <laughs> uh, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we are going to turn on the carometer. Jim Shear with Lyle Presler on The Week in Music. I don't think we've done it thus far in 2017. Turn on the uh, carometer. The carometer. Yeah. I think it might need a software update or something. Updates itself every every couple weeks. It, it needs to, I haven't done it yet well, in 2017. I think, I think it, it needs to calibrate. Like it, Maybe we need to, like instead of 1 through 10 or whatever, we need to actually get into like you know tenths. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Well, you're allowed. You've always been allowed to do that. Seven and two tenths. <laughs> so first up, uh, I don't think I've completely completely grasped it all yet. But later this year, Billy Corgan is going out on a month long tour with quote no destination as of yet unquote, which is part of three projects that he's working on. Number one. A 50 by 50, where Corgan will record his 50 favorite songs to celebrate his 50th birthday. Mm. Number two, a covers album. And number three, a new original album. On the journey, Corgan will interview fans, pick their brains, and has he said, quote, we're going to try to document this journey to come up with some collective vision, unquote. So what does this rank on your carometer? Well, I... I'd rank it pretty high, maybe like a nine, because I don't understand it. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like more information. For instance, so one part... The, so you care. I care about it because I care enough to figure out what he's really talking about. I mean, first of all, <laughs> just practically speaking, you cannot have a tour with no tour dates. I mean, so I don't think that he means that. I think he means when he says no destination, he means I don't have any idea what, he, what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go yet. But it's not like okay. you can just sit in your car and go like, hey, Chicago, I'm coming. Can I play tonight? I mean, it doesn't even <laughs> even for him, that's going to be difficult. The second thing is he's recording 50 of his favorite songs. OK, but how is that distinct from the covers record? Wouldn't they be covers? I thought the same thing. So in the interview uh-huh. or in the, the collection of quotes that I read. Right. It sounds, because he said he's going to be polling fans about his 50 favorite songs, which to me wouldn't make sense because I was like, why would you poll someone on your favorite songs? But it might be 
Smashing Pumpkin songs and Billy Corgan songs? But does he have 50? Well, yeah, and by the way, I mean... I would assume, to some extent, all of his songs are his favorite songs. They're his songs. <laughs> I mean, it'd be one thing if he said, I'm going to record 50 songs that I really like that I didn't write. You know, that that's right. that's fine. I mean, I get that. And that would be a covers album, that would be, exactly. as you said. So maybe what he's going to do is he's going to record 50 covers, and then he's going to call that to an, to an actual record. Oh, okay. You see what I'm so and he's like, all right, now let's con- go from 50 to 10. Right. So maybe the feedback he's getting is, which of these 50 do you think should be in the top 10? Lyle, you're a genius, man. But 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 having Why aren't we consultants, man, for <laughs> okay. the Edge and Green right, Bay and Billy Corgan <laughs> and Bon Jovi? Let's put them all on the list, Jim. All on the list. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I I guess that's what that means, but um but the last part of it where he's talking about interviewing people and trying to develop a collective vision good luck (laughs) i mean i don't even know what that means but i can't imagine it working but it's only a month long oh well that's good so it'll be done in a month see i was shocked when i read this story because i thought this should be the year that the smashing pumpkins get back together yeah because they're all talking again so wouldn't this be the year Take the take the baton from Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses. Yeah, unless unless they they're working on that, but they don't feel That's comfortable true. announcing it at this point. Okay, so maybe next year we get Smashing Pumpkins at Coachella. Right, right. Okay, so this ranks. It's it's interesting, and like you said, I I, I care to to hear more. So I'll give it a I'll give it a five on my care All right. Well, now that I've explained it, I'm going to have to reduce my number. <laughs> Now it's so you went from now nine it drops to, down to like a six or a seven, somewhere in that range. Okay, so let's give it a six point five. Six point five, yeah. Okay, so spinning off the popular James Corden segment on the Late Late Show, Apple Music will be doing a carpool karaoke series. Corden will not appear as there will be a revolving cast of hosts. Billy Eichner will sing with Metallica. Seth MacFarlane will sing with Ariana Grande, and Chelsea Handler. We'll sing with Blake Shelton. Mm. What does this rank on your carometer? Oh. The, for the actual karaoke part of, I would say, like a three. Mm-hmm. Um, f- once again, for my interest in who actually financially benefits from this, maybe like a six. Because my question is, does James Corden own the carpool karaoke thing? W- or does the network own it? You know, and this is always he. The thing is, he did that with George Michael right, prior to him being on the Late Late Show. So, that, so my question is, when he signed his contracts to become the host, did mm-hmm. he retain rights to certain things? Because that's always a tricky right. question. Remember, in the early days of Saturday Night Live, um, there was this. They didn't have the they didn't have the ironclad contracts to basically say to. Everybody who performed, like, if you come up with a character, we own it. You don't. You can't. Mm-hmm. And it really happened with Wayne's World. Because, like, when, when some of those people started taking their characters and going out and making lots of money, then NBC was like, wait a minute. Hold on a second. We're not a, sp- we're not a springboard for other people's careers in that way. So mm-hmm. my understanding is the contracts there are very, very specific about we own everything you do it's like if you went to work for a defense contractor and you were designing airplanes you know they own it um Mm -hmm. so my question would be whether Corden owns it or whether what is it NBC or CBS 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 whether they own it um Mm -hmm. but in terms of the carry I mean and and frankly I like him I'm not so sure about I care that much about these other people although Seth MacFarlane's not like it'd be good but I don't know I, I do like that it's not just a generic host who will be doing everything. Like, it's actually A-list talent that will be singing with other A-list talent. Yeah, I guess so. Although, I, I just sort of think, like, the thing that makes it work with him is that he can do it. It's him, I know. It's That's the charm of it. and he can do it. Like, I'm a little worried that you're going to run out of people who can actually do it well. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I mean, we know Seth MacFarlane can sing, right? Mm-hmm. We know that. So, but it gets to a certain point where you're like, okay, I mean, the longer it goes on, the sketchier it gets. Right. But we'll see. 
you know. I give this a five. Okay. I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. Yeah. And uh, when is there going to be too much carpool karaoke? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, Apple's jumping on this thing, and I figured somebody would at some point. Although I I'm, I, I thought it would just be I thought NBC would figure. I mean, CBS would figure out how to do it themselves. But but they obviously partnered up somehow. Mm-hmm. Um. But someone was going to jump on it. But you're right. The longer it goes on, the more it just is like, okay, whatever. We've been there, done that. Right. And it's a digital series. And I always watch my carpool karaoke online anyway. So, yeah. So that works. How much is too much? So we'll see. The rival to Governor's Ball, the Panorama Festival, put on by the people who brought you Coachella and held on New York City's Randall's Island, just like Governor's Ball, announced their lineup this week. Panorama will be headlined by Frank Ocean and Solange, Tame and Paula and Alt J, and Nine Inch Nails in a Tribe Called Quest. What does this rank on your carometer? Well, I mean, being not really a festival person, very low, you know, like three point two. But but in terms of just talking <laughs> about them, I think it's a good lineup. You know, and if you're inclined to go to the shows, then I think you'll have a good time. That sounds pretty good. Because Panorama is also always a little more artsier yeah, than yeah. Governor's Ball. Yeah, it is artsier, definitely, and it will be artsier with those with those acts. So because Governor's Ball has Tool, that's the the big name on the bill, right? Right. So and I, I think Lord Lord's playing Governor's Ball and Wu Tang Clan, and Panorama always caters towards the more indie minded folk. Right. Right. So I, I mean, I just from the lineup standpoint, I'd say I don't know, maybe in seven. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna give. I'll give it a seven just on the final night with Nine Inch Nails and a Tribe Called mm-hmm. Quest. Okay. Although, if they play at the same time, who do you go see? Well, that's a problem. But they'll probably stagger that, won't they? They might stagger it, but there might be some overlap. Yeah, there might be some overlap. True. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Decisions, decisions. <laughs> so, uh, Bonnaroo also uh, revealed their, uh, their lineup this year. So, the headline... <laughs> I've never gone to Bonnaroo. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, you can camp out, and it's really muddy, and it's it, it's tough to get out of the venue once it's done. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that, that sounds sound great. Fun. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> and by the way, I always thought it was in Australia for some reason. <laughs> well, it does sound it sounds, well, it it does. sounds like a, a boomerang, right? right? Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the headliners for Bonnaroo, U2, Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Weeknd, and Chance the Rapper. Well, I mean, all big acts. What does that rank on your carometer, Bonnaroo, this year? Yeah, you know, again, like a, a, a low three. Three. So if I gave Panorama, did I give it a six or a seven? You gave it a, a seven. All right, then I'll have to give Bonnaroo an eight. Really? Yeah, I, I like the U2 and Red Hot but Chili it's the, Peppers. But it's the same thing. I mean, again, it's I know, just sort of like, I know. hey, we're, round up the usual suspects. I know. You, 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 and you. Step forward, please. <laughs> but you know what? I don't think U2 does a lot of festivals. Well, I know, but what's the, but what, so what? I mean, you know, basically <laughs> they're just going to bring their show to that festival. I know. They pretty much put on their own festival. Right, exactly. Very much yeah, so. Yeah, but you know, if you, if you gave me the lineups, which we just did right mm-hmm. now, I would think I would rather see Bonnaroo than Panorama. Really? Yeah. Well, only reason I would I've seen but I've seen all that stuff. I've the only I haven't seen you two yet. I've never seen them live. Oh, you've never seen you two live? No. Oh, okay. Well, that's just, different. That's different. Never happened. Okay. But I've seen 9 Inch Nails, I've seen the Tribe Called Quest. So, all right. On to the next one. Oh, that's it. That's it. That was it for the uh, the carometer. So, we're on to birthdays. Ah, birthdays. Today, January 11th. Mary J Blige. The so-called queen of hip-hop soul is mm-hmm. 46. I actually worked with a guy who claimed that he came up with that. Really? And I didn't have... He's, he was a great guy. I had no reason to believe that he wasn't telling the truth. Um, Robert Earl... Queen of hip-hop soul. Yeah, queen of hip-hop soul. Robert Earl Keane, a, uh, a country artist who has written... Sort of an alt-country artist who's written mm-hmm. a lot of songs for major other artists uh, and performed his own stuff, is 61. Uh, Naomi Judd, uh, the mom, and a member of the Judds, which had fi- mm-hmm. 15 number one singles. Yee! Dang. Yeah, she's 71. 
in a very different vein, Lunch Money Lewis, who you can currently hear on the radio on Pitbull's Greenlight, uh, is 29 years old. And Although I do like that name, Lunch Money Lewis. Oh, I love Lewis. it. That's fantastic. And he actually, it's he sounds great on that track, by the way. He really does. Um, and Vicky Peterson, the guitarist of the Bangles, is 59. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to all. And six years ago was a huge birthday for all of them because it was one, 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 one. Ah, that's right. Yeah. wonder if they did anything special on January 11th, 2011. Well, we would have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because we're, we're geniuses, right. especially today. Right. right, exactly. So the number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, Bad and Bougie from Migos featuring Lil Uzi Vert. That one just... Klein, that was just woof. Well, yeah, and that just like, that just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> came came out came out of nowhere. It was number one on Spotify this week. It's number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, the number one album on the Billboard 200, Starboy from the Weekend, returning there after being knocked out by the Pentatonics. But it was the holiday season, right, mind you. Right. The number one song on iTunes this week, Shape of You from Ed Sheeran. Have you heard that song? You know, I haven't heard either of the two new songs. That one, it's good, but I don't like hearing Ed Sheeran get all sexual, like talking about bodies and stuff. Oh, yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't come off that way as a person. Like, is that a, is that a bad double standard? Like, if it's okay if Rihanna does it or if George Michael does it, but not Ed Sheeran. Well, no, I I, I think that comes down to just taste period you know aesthetics like i don't think it's a dub is an issue of like an i don't think it's a political or philosophical concept i just think that some people we look at them and we go i don't want you to talk about certain things (laughs) (laughs) i'm fine with you talking about other things and singing about other things i'm just not sure i really feel comfortable with you in the role that i'm now seeing in my head yeah, like write a good love song, but don't say, "Oh, I love the shape of your body." Right, exactly. Like, you can't. You, you can't. Ex- that's right. So, so I, I don't think you're wrong for doing that. Although I think Ed would be very disappointed to hear this. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. So I, I love Ed Sheeran, but I just don't want. I don't want to hear him talking well, about that. Okay. Kind well, of stuff. how did you feel about John Mayer doing my "Your Body's a Wonderland"? I can't stand John Mayer. Well, I know, but, but okay. Well, then that that's horrible. I, I hate. I hated it. That takes it off the board. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm just trying to think of people who. But you know, it's funny that you say that too, because I think I think people sometimes deliberately shy away from doing stuff like that because they kind of mm-hmm. don't. They sort of feel like eh, I don't think people are going to really buy this from me, which is not which is <laughs> not fair. I, I mean, there's no fairness in any of this, by the way. It's not fair. But uh, right. But sometimes that's the way we feel about things. You know. Yeah, like if I decided that I was going to have a sex podcast next week, I don't think a lot of people would listen to it. They well, they would listen the first time. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, "What is he doing?" Yeah, exactly. Like, is this for real, or did he just sort of make this up? You know. Yeah. So I, you know, I I stick in the lanes of music, sports, and food. All right. So, uh, the number one album on iTunes this week. No surprise here. La La Land, the original motion picture soundtrack, which everybody is raving about, and the reviews are all identical. Everyone says, it was amazing. It was an almost perfect film, and I'm scared to see it now because I'm afraid it won't live up to the hype. Well, yeah, and and, and surprise, surprise, the uh, foreign press gave it so many awards. I mean, the one thing you should know about the Golden Globes is the people who write for that are almost to a person nostalgic for the golden age of American movie making. So a movie like La La Land is going to hit them right in the sweet spot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the reviews, I, I've read a couple of reviews that have been positive, but it basically said, what's interesting about it is not that it tries to be Gene Kelly, you know? It's not that it tries to be um, one of the classic musicals, because for one thing, their technical ability is not the same. They're mm-hmm. not as good. And they should, right. and that's not a knock because no one is. Right. No one was Fred Astaire. Period. Mm-hmm. So, but they say that's what makes it kind of interesting because then it's sort of it is in a way like a true homage, you know, like mm-hmm. we want to do this even though we're not necessarily really good enough to do this the way it's been done. We still want to do it because we still want to evoke something. 
And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not a musical guy basically, but I'm I'm interested in it. I want to see it. I'm curious. Yeah. 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 So I, I guess you would call La La Land earnest. Yeah, earnest right? and 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 a, and a complete departure from from the formula the formulas that work in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And those formulas usually include a certain amount of violence. Yeah, and I haven't heard one person that has disliked La La That's Land. That's great. Yeah. And the number one song on Spotify this week, Shape of You from Ed Sheeran. Mm-hmm. So I might be wrong, but the uh, teenage girls and 20-somethings aren't. They like to hear Ed Sheeran oh, yeah. talk about oh, yeah. <laughs> loving the shape of ladies' bodies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They do. So uh, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, it is time for our music picks of the week. A club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Me and my friends sat at the table doing shots, tripping fast, and then we talk slow. And come over and start up a conversation with just me, and trust me, I'll give it a chance. Now take my hand, stop it, and the man on the jukebox, and then we start to dance. And now I'm singing like, girl, you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my lead. I may be crazy, don't mind me. Say, boy, let's not talk too much. Grab on my waist and put that body on me. Come on now, follow my lead. Come, come on now, follow my lead. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too. I'm in love with your body. And last night you were in my Hey everybody, it is Jim Shear with Lyle Presler on The Week in Music. Time now for our music picks of the week. Uh, I'm going to go back in time right now. not going to give you a current one, although it is it, it has a, a current spin to it. Um, a couple weeks ago, I saw the movie Sing, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And during one of the uh, crucial parts in the movie, the gorilla... And spoiler alert here, everyone, if you haven't seen it. So plug up your ears, put on the earmuffs if you haven't seen it and you don't want anything to be spoiled. But during a crucial part in the movie, uh, the gorilla sings I'm Still Standing from Elton John. Okay. And it just hit at the perfect moment. Uh You know when a song hits? Like sometimes you'll see a a sports montage before the Super Bowl and they play the right song. And it's it's just, it's, it's like a new music video. Right. So that's what this felt like for me. And then after the movie, the first thing I had to do was go home and listen to I'm Still Standing from Elton John. So let me ask you a question about that song. I mean, I know the song, but is, uh-huh. is that a Bernie Taupin song? I, th- I think it would be, right? Well, not necessarily, because there comes a point where Bernie's not involved anymore. Oh, well, let me investigate yeah. that right now. Because, I mean, one of the things I always liked about Elton John was that Bernie's lyrics are amazing. I mean, the storytelling is incredible. And there came a point where Elton was getting other people to write the lyrics, I think, and it, a lot of time it wasn't that great. It is uh, writers, Elton John music, Bernie Taupin okay. lyrics. There you go. Well, that's good. Yeah, and I don't, I, Bernie Taupin song. I don't know the lyrics well enough to, to you know, have any judgment on them, but I always wonder when the later songs, I wonder who's involved in it. And my kids can't stop listening to the song. <laughs> like, I played it yesterday, and my daughter said, play it again, play it again. I'm like, okay. And then she wanted to hear it for a third straight time. That's what kids do. They want, again, so, again. And there's a, it's, there's a lyric in there. It says, uh, I'm feeling like a kid. Uh-huh. So wait, uh, don't you know I'm still standing better than I ever did? Looking like a true survivor, feeling like a little kid. Right. So okay. even shouts out little kids in the song. So here you go. I'm still standing from Elton John. You can never know what it's like. Your blood like winter freezes just like ice. And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you. You wind up like the wreck you hide behind that mask you use. And did you think this fool could never win? Well, look at me. I got a taste of love in a simple way And if you need to know while I'm still standing You just fade away Don't you know I'm still standing Better than I ever did Looking like a true survivor Feeling like a little kid
were meant to cut me down And if my love was just a circus You'd be a clown by now No, I'm still standing Better than I ever did Looking like a true survivor Feeling like a little kid I'm still standing After all this time Picking up the Don't like about that song. Years later, there's a the guitar solo. Yeah, it just kind of feels dated. It, it does feel dated, and, and I think some of the some of the actual sound is a little dated sounding. Um, some of the and then I, sound I, qualities. Because yeah, and then I went back to the um, the sing soundtrack mm-hmm. where the the gorilla singing it. I don't I forget the the name of the actor or the singer who actually sings it in the movie, mm-hmm. and. It comes at a part in the movie where everyone's cheering and they're singing along, and the cheers and the chants aren't in the soundtrack version. Oh, so I was like, oh, and it kind of like it loses something. Yeah. So I wish, once again, if we were musical consultants, right. I would have s- sat down with everyone. And I said, well, you got to put the cheers and the chants in. That's how it works. Right. Exactly. Almost like a live recording because it it was performed live in the movie. Right. So. In the magical fantasy animation land that they created, where, where animals <laughs> yes. sing songs in a competition and drive cars yes. and live in houses. And, you know, yes. I heard somebody on the radio say that one of the problems they had with their kid, their kid had seen so many of those Pixar things that, and the kid was maybe six or seven, that the kid was very upset to find out that animals couldn't talk. <laughs> as far as he was concerned, they all talk. They all have personalities. They t- yeah, why wouldn't and they? And why would you not think that? I mean, you know, because you've wa- that's all you've seen. And he had to sort of explain to him, like, this, this is not real, you know. Animals make noises, but they don't, they don't speak. <laughs> well, I've taken my kids to see four movies, okay. and they've all been animal-based. Okay. And then my wife and I were talking. Wolf being one. And we, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. What's that? Wait. No. <laughs> Um, but my wife and I were talking, and we said that the only show that they watch that is based in realism is Caillou. Okay. Because everything else is either they're superheroes or they're animals or they're these magical paper-created pop-up figures. But the only thing based in reality is Caillou. Interesting. So don't you think we need more realistic shows? See, I don't know about that. I, I think I read somewhere at some point in time that, that, that psychologists believe that that's a, that's a good transition, like to sort of anthropomorphize animals uh, and make them, <laughs> give them human qualities. It's sort of a bridge to understanding people, and it's okay. a way to create empathy in children, you know, the, the, the poor badger who no one likes you know what i'm saying like and i think Mm -hmm. it's easier for them to to maybe focus on that than the more complexity of human beings um so i'm not so sure it's a bad thing i mean i have no idea whether that's true or not but but i remember reading that at some point so that kind of explains why there's so many of those shows and also because kids like little animals they do they want to they want to buy the plush toys that are associated with it and I'm sure it's probably boring for my son that Caillou doesn't fly or shoot lasers out of his fingers. Yeah, well, that's the other problem. I mean, you come there's a, a certain part of it, like any childhood, where you come to realize that there's no actual magic. 
you know, and like people can't just shoot, like you say, lasers out of their eyes. <laughs> now, your music pick of the week? Well, I kind of followed on. I, you've, you've hinted that it's also movie based. Yeah, I kind of wanted to follow on you. So I was in the theater seeing something, probably uh, Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And there was a trailer. F- did you like it? I did. I did. Okay. I mean, I, let's put it this way. I enjoyed it. I'm okay. I'm not going to make any clip, but I, mean, I I love the Star Wars stuff. I think it's great, and 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 I I think it's fun, and I thought it was very well made and very it paced very well, and there was and I thought there were enough interesting characters. I mean, there probably were too many characters, so it kind of mm-hmm. it kind of there wasn't a lot of depth. That there wasn't time to go into a lot of depth with the characters, but some of them were really memorable characters. The the blind sort of monk is very memorable. If if mm-hmm. if borrowed from other places, and obviously all this stuff is borrowed. But I, I mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't make any great claims for it as a movie, but I thought it was it was enjoyable. Um, okay. So anyway, I'm sitting there waiting for that movie to come on, and there was the the uh, trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy two, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed the first one. Not thinking that I would, because when it came out, I was like, oh god, not another one of these damn things. And then I was reading about the soundtrack of the first record, and I was like, wow, that's a pretty weird, I mean, first, a movie, that's a pretty weird soundtrack, because it's all old songs, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then I saw the movie, and I loved it. So the great thing about the new trailer is that the whole trailer is set to Fox on the Run by The Sweet. Mm. Song that that sort of broke them in 1975, um... And one of the interesting things was that they were very conscious in the way that they they created their sound. They wanted to have like a real rock, heavy rock sound, but they wanted to do vocals like the Hollies did. And and Fox on the Run has all those elements, including that wonderfully sort of cheesy organ slash synthesizer thing at the beginning. But I thought it was perfect for the trailer. And and it's not my it's not even my favorite sweet song, but I thought it was cool. All right, so Fox on the Run. From the sweet.
You might have a better song pick of the week than me. Oh, I don't know about that. That's good. No, that's good. I think it's cool that these that these um, movies are not afraid to go just mine older stuff. Like, I, yes. I would imagine there's so much pressure in, in situations to get an Ariana Grande to write a song for a movie. And mm-hmm. I, I can imagine that pressure is intense. And you can imagine music supervisors sitting in a room going, no, 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 we don't want that. We, we, we want to give it a certain flavor and we can use all these old songs, which, by the way, are a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can use them in a way that will conjure up something as opposed to going and getting, you know, a new pop star to write a new song for the movie. Although there's no question how successful those are. So, so it's an interesting thing. I like movies where they, where they take old songs and make it into something. And I think that, I think obviously the conceit in Guardians of the Galaxy is that here's this guy called Star-Lord who's living in the 28th century or something. And he's listening to a mixtape that all contained all this music is on it. You know, that's what, (laughs) that's the conceit and that's what makes it work, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so that from that perspective, I think it's pretty cool. See, like I said earlier, doesn't it feel like kind of the age of the music video where you would have heard a song maybe a hundred times or there was a song on an album and you never really thought of it as a single and then a band released it as a single and then when you saw it paired with a music video, it just added something totally different to it and then you fell in love with the song. Oh, yeah, or it ruined your career. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, rock me. Are you talking about Billy Squire? Rock me tonight, man. I mean, like, yeah. wow, what a sad story. But, but, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's funny. I'd have to think about that, but I suspect that there are a lot of songs that, if I think of it, I see the video. Yes. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Now, there's also a lot of songs that I was listening to in the late 70s and early 80s that had no videos. So mm-hmm. those are those I can maybe see the picture of the band in my mind, mm-hmm. or in a rare occasion if it came from England, it might have had like a top of the pops thing on it or something like that, where they're lip syncing along. But yeah. there's no, there, there's very few conceptual music videos from that period, so you tend to think of them differently. I don't know that it or matters. Sometimes when it's placed in a commercial, yep. as much as I hate to say it, but I remember there was a, a Saul Williams song called Reparations. Mm-hmm which was used on a, a sneaker ad a handful of years ago. And I thought, this like this should have been the music video for it. This is awesome. Right. And then I wanted to rush back home and listen to the song again. And I remember, I forget what year, I think it was the, what was the first Michael Phelps Usain Bolt Olympics? Oh, gosh. I, I, guess, it, I guess it would have been eight years yeah. ago, like 2008 yeah. maybe. Um, during one of the promos for it, they played Muses, Knights of Sidonia. Okay. And the montage and the editing was so perfect that I thought, wow, like this gave Knights of Sidonia another shot of life for me. Right. And it was on heavy rotation on my iPod for the next three weeks. Right. And, 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 and commercial use will do that. We've seen it a, a number of times recently. Even my mother, um, who's 80, was, you know, she'd been hearing a song on a Volvo commercial and she called me. She's like, what is this song? Can you look it up and find out what it is? So it has a lot of power. I think it also is fraught with danger, you know, because you, you it could ruin it too. Yeah, it could ruin it, or it could cheapen it somehow. So I think you have to be really careful when you do it. But if you're talking about, I, I can't remember who said to me, but they were like, you know, a few years ago they said the the last bastion of really great filmmaking is the car commercial, because some of the better ones are edited so well and beautifully shot with helicopter. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they're just beautiful. Like, there's a Volvo commercial out now that has a fox in it at one point, and it's Walt Whitman's poem that's it's being narrated over the top of it, and it's incredible. I mean, it's as good as any little piece of film you've ever seen, and, <laughs> and, and it's for a car, you know? So I think you have to be careful, like, what you allow use for, but in some instances, it can be... It can be as cinematic as anything you could produce on your own, <laughs> even more so. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's also an Audi commercial that uses Search and Destroy. Yes. I heard you'd love that yeah, one. Yeah, I love that one. That's great. <laughs> and that's a little bit of foreshadowing, because we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're going to play Ask Lyle, and my question is centered around Iggy Pop. I am a passenger. Bright and hollow sky You know it looks so good 
everybody, Jim Shear and Lyle Presler on The Week in Music. Time now to play Ask Lyle. Ask Lyle. So my question for you, Lyle, mm. there's a bit of a setup to it. I always watch the CBS Sunday morning show. Okay. Do you ever watch that? I have watched it. In fact, <laughs> I, you know, it used to be when I was doing marketing, it used to be a big thing to try to get artists on that show. Because it's, it's an old-fashioned type of show. It's an old-fashioned type of show, and actually... Like, I feel like a 16-year-old kid would hate that show. Yeah, the, the 16-year-old kid wouldn't like it, but surprisingly, we found, at least at the time, and this is going back a number of years, we found that a lot of younger music lovers would watch the show. Really? Because if, if there was something on that they wanted to see. Um, okay. So as long as they knew what was coming up, I mean, I, I can't remember who we had on. We had an, over the years, we had a number of people on, and that would just be the labels I worked with. I mean, there were other labels that were competing for that too. But the, the but it's just like a handful of human interest packages right. throughout the exactly. show. And they're, they're really well done. They are really well done. And, and it, I think for, for the artists, it's good because they often give them a chance to not only play some music, but to talk about it. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. professionally put together. So it, you know, so it's not like you worry about it just being sort of stupid, you know? Yeah. Or some stupid interviewer is just like, yeah, um, can you tell me what happens? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's done by media professionals. Exactly. Like you, Not Jim. kids on YouTube. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> so my question comes in here somewhere. Okay. But on Sunday, they did a one on one interview with Iggy Pop. Mm. And they went through him cutting his chest. They showed pictures of him bleeding through his chest. They had clips of him jumping into the crowd, playing his punk rock music. And I thought to myself, if this was a 20-year-old band, there would be no way in hell any of this would be shown. So I guess my question is, at what age do dangerous artists not become dangerous anymore to the mainstream? Mm, That's really interesting. Because, you know, you could apply the same same sort of you could take the same question and throw it to people like Snoop Dogg you mm-hmm. know and, and I think even more yeah even, of course even more dramatically him okay or Ice-T you know yeah well no include them in the question because you know if, if you're the people who watch CBS what shows he on Ice-T Oh, he, he's on uh, is CSI or Law, is it Law and Order? Law and Order. Yeah, I mean, let's just Law and Order SVU. Yeah, let's just say for the sake of argument, it's Law and Order. The, the audience that watch that is a much older audience, and they've come mm-hmm. to accept him not as the guy who wrote Cop Killer. <laughs> they don't. They may not even know, but 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 they that's not. They think of him as the character that he plays, which mm-hmm. is fine, which is great. I don't have a problem. So, but going specifically to your question, I don't know that it's a question of age. I think it's a question of how two things. One is how the, the mores change in society. Like what becomes more acceptable as it's more well-known or promoted. And then the second thing is how does the person who embodied some of those things, how does that person present themselves as time goes on? Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, in the case of Iggy Pop, he has, well, first of all, I mean, he's one of the most written about, talked about, American musicians that has ever existed, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and and not necessarily because he's he's that great, but just because he's he he's just an icon, okay? But if mm-hmm. you notice over the years, he's positioned himself more and more, not necessarily to the mainstream. Like he hasn't changed as a per as a person, but he's indulged in things that are mainstream, whether it's John Varvatos or whatever it might be, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I guess Search and Destroy is a part of that, too, you know, the Audi commercial. I think, I think it's, but, but there are other people of his same ilk who have never been acceptable, okay? And, and that, I think, it's, I think sometimes that's just because of desire, don't you? I mean, don't you think that it's, it's sort of like, what do you want to do? Do you want to remain iconoclastic? Do you want to remain that person? Or are you willing to sort of just work it more towards the middle? And but you're right. I don't think I mean, certainly I don't know that we would show pictures of a punk rock band from, you know, San Diego, California, cutting themselves on stage. Right. On CBS. Like a 60 year old lady, because if a 60 year old lady is watching and she sees Iggy Pop cutting himself and then they go to him in the one on one interview, they're like, oh, that Iggy, that guy, he's crazy. But if you show a 20 year old kid slicing up his chest, like, 
I'm turning this off. This is insane. Well, yeah, and I think, but I think there's an element of the element to that as well is that remember that that 60 year old lady might have been going to like rock, crazy rock shows when she True. was younger. Um, True. And so therefore, and she's maybe knows about Iggy Pop and has known about Iggy Pop since the 70s. So mm-hmm. therefore, none of this comes as a surprise. Whereas I think if you show 20 year olds doing something crazy, that comes as a surprise to people sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like when punk rock, when American punk rock first started happening, like there was a famous Quincy episode. <laughs> and I believe that was CBS too. Um, but there was a famous Quincy punk rock episode where they consciously linked punk rock to crystal meth or something. And, and Quincy had to like deliver all of these, you know, Jack Klugman had to deliver these, these fiery, you know, denunciations of this lifestyle. And I remember we all just laughed at it, you know, like, but to people who were older than us, who were used to something completely different, that really resonated with them. Like, Oh, that's what's going on out there. It's horrifying. And, but I think people who are in their fifties and sixties today are kind of like, yeah, I've seen all that stuff, man. You know. Yeah, and I apologize to any six-year-old ladies out there because I think my impression was more of a, a seventy-five-year-old lady. Yeah, I mean, and also it depends on your background, you know. I mean, it really does. It's 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 like wh- wh- what were you doing when you were twenty, twenty-five years old? You know, I mean, I think we all have this tendency to imagine every older person as being someone who was a debutante or was in a fraternity <laughs> or who right. you know drove an Oldsmobile. I mean, it's, it's it, that's not there's no longer true when you go into a dentist office and classic rock is playing or alternatives rock is playing. You go, oh, well, this isn't the same thing I'm using. I'm thinking of how I, I expect to go in there and hear Muzak, you know. And mm-hmm. when I go in and hear Nirvana, I'm like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but but that's the reality, you know. And it's just hard for us sometimes, I think, to understand that, you know, th- they didn't, th- the people who are older are just older. That's it. <laughs> They've just lived longer. Haven't, hasn't everyone seen everything now? I would think so. And with the internet, you can see anything. <laughs> yeah. Because an 80-year-old person, what, 50 years ago... Help me with the math here. Was thirty? <laughs> was what? Now, what year was fifty years ago? Was what? Uh, See, sixty. It, it trips me up with the teens. Was it in the like early sixties? Sixty-six. Sixty-seven. Sixty-six. Sixty-seven. Okay, so rock and roll was, you know, was well on its way then. Well, and if you were listen, if you were twenty, if you were eighteen to twenty-five in nineteen sixty-seven, okay, summer of love. Mm-hmm. You were politically aware, you were socially aware, you were listening to the new music. You went through as much of a cultural revolution as anyone ever has in this country. There you so go. So you're now 60, um, well, 70, but you have all of those experiences already in your chest. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's not, I mean, you, you know, I've run into seven-year-old people who tell me like, oh, yeah, man, I used to, I used to go here. I went to here. I, I used to go to these festivals in, in you know, in, in Michigan with Grand Funk and shit. And I'm going like, yeah, okay. But, you know, now you're wearing a, a cardigan and you're, you know, driving in a Volvo. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, like, that's what it is. It's just, you know, I, I think that... So I think the, the short answer to your question is maybe a lot of their audience is just kind of like, yeah, sure, Iggy Pop, right? What's he up to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because yeah. they're not introducing him. I mean, he's been introduced. So I think, yeah. I think, and I think probably the people who watch that show religiously are also pretty much, they're pretty, um, they probably are the higher end of the economic scale. They probably, are right. the, you know, they probably have indulged a lot of culture over the years because they could afford to. So I. So what you're saying is a 75 year old lady might have had an orgy with Jim Morrison it's po- at some it's point. It's certainly possible. <laughs> and we'll end like On that. On that note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll be back next week for Lyle Presler. My name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. So Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building.